0: and that's where we started talking about his style and that's where i really learned his visual style as a cameraman his with his um principles um of camera and because david's always really really known for being able to do everyone else's job better than they can and so he's kind <laughs> of like supporting you and it goes all the way to from 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 writer to producer to uh You know, he can tear the camera apart and rebuild it. Uh Um, And he would, he, 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 he taught a lot. And I suddenly realized, oh, he's doing it. We're actually working here five years ahead of the rest of Hollywood. Today I
1: get to sit down with my friend and big time Hollywood editor, Byron Smith, to talk all the way from Lucas Lane to his adventures in Hollywood. He's had strokes, too, and so how are you,
0: man? How was Los Angeles today? you know what it's rainy it's it's a It's a sleepy it looks like a sleepy little town when the rain starts up on the weekend. you know I mean, you would think it was like uh you know a little lonesome ghost town. <laughs> In Southwest Missouri, you know, it yeah. kind of looks like it. It looks a <laughs> awful lot like it right now. And well, I, you wouldn't believe this. Today, it kind of snowed at my house.
2: Uh huh.
0: Which How has that happened. Now? Yeah. Well, the air gets a little colder, and then it wants to rain. But it's around 39 degrees. It wants uh-huh. to. The white stuff starts to fall from the sky. Instead. <laughs> <stuff. laughs> There have been, I think this is my third time seeing snow at my house, and uh-huh. maybe my fourth time in L.A., uh-huh. and 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 there was not, you know, it's almost like you can't really say it, I mean, I did see a little few flurries in there, it was actually hail, there was a lot of, there was uh-huh. a lot more that city hail that, you know, you get in Missouri about once every two weeks, right? Sure. But um, um, yeah. It was enough, you know, that it would that it got uh my son all excited and, 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 and ran outside. Um, so but uh it does happen, but you know, <laughs> only in um on certain conditions and uh usually a little higher. Well, you know, so
1: I want to take you back to Lucas Lane.
0: Oh my gosh, know? yeah.
1: <laughs> and tell me about growing up there. What
0: was that like? Oh, it was really idyllic. You know, very storybook from my memories. Uh-huh. And and I hated I I was there just a short time when we moved. We moved away when I was after second grade when i was uh-huh. about when i was about 10 and going to go in i was about to turn 10 and go into third grade uh-huh. my parents jimmy and jerry ray jimmy and jimmy ray and jerry you know wanted to move to a a little closer to my dad's work and yeah yeah so but i i have some real deep some really strong memories and I remember, I think you were having a birthday party one day and I wanted to join it, but I was young and I think you were kicking me out of your birthday party or something, you know, but oh, I was Lord. all excited because <laughs> yeah, I was like super young, you know, and I was like, I was, I was, I don't know were how old. You five years older than me.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Right. But you had a lot of exciting, you had a lot of exciting big kids. And oh yeah, definitely. Because you were at one end of the street and I was at the other, or I was at the, we were on the same side of the street, but I was, yeah, towards the, I don't even know which side, but you were on the other end. And there were, there was just one house in between us? Yes, that's right. And now Lucas Lane's really big and famous. I can't believe (laughs) it.
1: Well, it's really amazing to realize that, We've got so many things in common, including that we're both sitting here, fairly recently young adults, and we both had strokes. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, yeah.
1: That's an odd something, deal.
0: Something in the water, I'd say. <laughs>
1: yeah, maybe so. I mean. So, but before we get to that, I guess that I want to start by talking about your parents and tell tell the audience about them, and you know, I just think that.
0: Your story is so
2: interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I don't know what. Yeah, I don't know what to say. I mean, my parents brought me home. Um, I, you know, I was a, I was adopted from uh-huh. St. Louis. I was born uh-huh. in St. Louis. And your dad, it was your dad that kind of facilitated the our reunion, <laughs> our union, really? our family. I didn't I know. I mean. That. Well, I mean, he just it was the one that handled uh-huh. the the my my case and uh-huh. and took care of my parents and and I think my adoption was thirty five dollars. He was a high <laughs> high roller. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and um, you know, I I think they were super excited to have me. My my parents uh-huh. were just really um. You know, we're so proud, and that's what every other parent in Southwest Missouri has always said. Every other, sure. every other yeah. one of their friends has all, always said. Uh-huh. And you know, they were um, they were really in love. My dad really loved my mom, and um, they have they 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 kind of came from interesting backgrounds because my dad came from Powell County, from West Plains.
2: Uh-huh. Uh
0: huh. Um, and uh, th- my mom came from Springfield, and she uh-huh. uh, grew up on Grand Street. I think by, you know, they call it the college by by sure. uh, Missouri State. What is Missouri State now?
2: Yes, um, exactly.
0: And um, they married. They 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 met in. Springfield and they for a long time they lived on, on Hart Street and then they moved to Crane uh-huh and why did they do that how did that happen I think my dad was working for you know and KTTS uh-huh. I think he was working and my mom was a social worker and she came in to the radio station to huh. record something and my dad saw my mom and you know he kind of like made an excuse to beeline over to the reception area and and say (laughs) hi and just make sure. Yeah. Um, that's what they always told me.
2: Uh So
0: yeah. Yeah. And Um, so you came down
1: and you, you know, you were adopted and you guys formed kind of a perfect little family.
0: Yeah. Very, um, very, uh, sweet, you know, um, storybook experience and Crane I thought Crane was was huge and (laughs) I mean I really thought I I mean even the corner that when when the street turns toward the old water tower I thought that hill I thought that hill was 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 huge was really tall (laughs) yeah yeah and then in our backyard it was a gateway, a whole um doorway. You had to, a great backyard. You did. Yeah. Yeah, kinda I mean like, you know, I just thought every kid grew up like this. <laughs>
2: um,
0: with all those big matured trees and some some forest land there and um I thought it went on forever. Um, and, little did know, I you had the kind of backyard that in other words it sloped
1: down the hill and Continue done forever.
0: Mhm. Yeah. No. Mhm. Mhm. You could. I could really get lost in there. Mom took me on a walk to go explore one day, and that's when I kind of fell in love with the outdoors. That oh, moment, yeah. you know, I was four, and I we didn't go far, and I thought, but I thought we'd gone forever, and oh yeah. Yeah. So, but that was the thing, you know. That was where it's at, you know, in the woods. Oh yeah, the woods. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Definitely. Yeah. And you know, I remember. I don't remember if you knew this or not, but there was a time when I was five or six, and my mom contacted your mom about being teaching me writing. You know, and so I came to your house, and you know that was so big. So cool. I don't think I had many lessons, but definitely it's just weird to think about how many times, you know, this kind of overlapped.
0: Oh, right. Because I don't you did tell me that when we had a nice dinner here uh-huh. in LA one one right. night. And that that was the only is the only time I've heard that story that I remembered it. I think i probably uh-huh. heard it a few times. <laughs> well yeah. you know, I mean, it was just so interesting to be hired to, you know, or
1: whatever happened between them to give me writing
2: lessons.
1: And so then mm-hmm. my memory of your dad is he had a setup with a modem at at your house. And he had the his phone just went right on it, and that was how you connected to the, to the computer.
0: Do you remember that? that? Is, oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> um, I, I, well, it was. I, I do remember the cassette player that used. Oh, that yeah. was like a a hard. A, it was a it was a hard real drive. cassette. <laughs> that was the hard drive. Uh
2: huh.
0: And um, I don't remember the modem ever working. You know, ever really. Well,
1: I just remember it was so cool that he had one. I hmm. I just thought that was the mm-hmm. biggest thing
0: ever. It was an amazing – it was the best paperweight ever. It was so cool. It did really well.
1: And, you know, it was – you know, I just felt like, you know, you got so much attention from them and they did so much to kind of encourage you to do all the cool stuff you've
0: done since then. It's. I mean, like, you know, yeah, a lot of things happened in those first – you know, five years, you know, with the computer coming into the house, when computers were just coming into homes for the first time in America. Like really first time. Yeah. That yeah. That was just Yes. So, and then <laughs> that kind of stuck with me. And I remember my dad always saying, you know, computers are going to be a part of your life. And that was, of course, 1982. So, yeah. I really um, still remember him saying that. And then, yeah, pretty sure enough um i mean like he he still um understated it i you know i i i could have really even done more but that's you know with everything <laughs> i do you know um is it, it, is that way now
1: right i mean
0: he was the nostradamus you know that was uh-huh. that was great yes. <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, he would always talk about. He was he. We went to Chicago, and he talked about. He actually talked about a piece of technology that he saw, where every and he talked about how, every book was going to fit on this hard drive. Every oh, yeah. book, every book in Library of Congress was going to be able to fit on this one piece of, right, meat of this hardware. So anyway. yeah. What do you what well, do you drink when you do these? When you do these, don't stop. When do you are you drinking something right now? Are you having a beer? No, I'm having, not having the beer. No, are you having? Do you do you ever have? I I I just wondered. Are, are we? Are, should we be drinking something together right now so to really get into this? Is this sure? I mean, I mean, um, or or or, or not? <laughs> don't, don't.
1: do whatever you want
0: to do. Because uh, you know, because we're just really settling in for a nice fireside That's chat exactly, right now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: exactly, yeah. You know, and. I think that is it's so interesting that then you went to college and you had someone else from Crane who was
2: very influential in your life.
0: Yeah. Minrose Quinn. Yeah. 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 I mean, wow. I mean, that's the legend right there. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Tell me about her. She was such a big deal that she didn't have even much time for me when I stopped by her office in Carrington hall uh-huh. at, 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 Southwest Missouri state university, you um, know, well, SMS uh-huh. then, you know, and I dropped by there and she, um, I knew, I told her, you know, I really like this thing that she worked in the f- film industry and uh-huh. I, she was, she kind of asked, what do you think you want to do? And I said, well, what has creativity? And she said, well, the director has the most creativity, but boy, that is a, And she said, that is a really competitive job. And she sure. said, but, and she said to me, you know, she's like, boy, that, that takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of time. But if you want to um, make the second most impact to anything, any movie, uh-huh that would be being an editor. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to be an editor then done <laughs> you know, check, you know, and that was it. It was that easy. Uh, and uh, I was off and running and I, and then my heart was set to do that. And now I'm still here. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. How many years later? I don't know. Right. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think I saw her when I was a freshman in like around 1996. Okay. And there was another a long-standing professor there named Mark Biggs and he just okay. retired. He I talked to him last summer. He he did come. I took Minrose Quinn's this overview class about mass media and about communications and uh-huh. it was kind of a course the whole semester, we met people about what they did. Mark Biggs came one day, and he just scared the class to death. And everybody in my class was just <laughs> like, that sounds awful. And he was talking about movie production. And uh-huh. I was just like, and he was talking about how much stress it has and uh, how you kind of devote all of your time to it. And he was right, you know, Uh now that I've found out. But I thought that that was where the real sausage was made, where that was really exciting. And that's where I wanted to be. I I had always kind of thought about going to the the cinema in Springfield and, like, always, you know, it was really, I was really impressionable. And it really, those movies that I saw all summer long, would leave a lot of impact for me because there wasn't a lot to do in Springfield. Oh, or, yeah. Yeah. And like when you and I were t- teenagers, I mean, it was uh-huh. just like our parents just had to drop us off at the Battlefield Mall, and yeah, definitely. And, and me and a couple of buddies would go inside and see a movie for like the fourth time. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. To this point, if I'm just like, oh, yeah, I've only seen that once. You know, I mean, like, I feel like I just don't (laughs) see movies like I did when I would see a James Bond movie in Springfield five times. Oh, yeah. Um, That was was pretty common. And so that much immersiveness in it made me think that that was just so exciting and I wanted – and I knew – I didn't know – exactly what all the jobs were, but, and I would ask my dad, like, what's a producer? Uh-huh. You know, and I, and, and I, you know what? He didn't really know either, but he, <laughs> you know, and, and, he and, and we that. would talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Because it's um, cause I mean, like it's, it's, you know, producers are just so funny and, and, and the, the uh, you know but the editing I was like that's something where you're putting something together and I could start to figure it out
2: sure. and
0: yeah when we moved to nixa and I was borrowing a spare vcr and I was wow. connecting them together and I was trying on my own and then I started using a camcorder from an old school friend of mine named Matthew Patterson and he um he had a camcorder in um, Nixa. And so that's when I was and I was like even doing some in camera editing. I was doing stuff when I would start and stop the camera and knowing like I wanted to pick up a story and make it feel like it was a real movie and sure. make it feel like it was seamless. Um yeah. And so then, you know, and then on into high school There was my senior year, it wasn't until my senior year when a system actually landed at the school and all the, there were televisions in every classroom. And it was this really, really neat activity where we made our own newscasts each week. So I was was just ate up with that. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, that was my thing.
1: And Um, so when you, I guess that, you know, What were the big steps to get you to Hollywood? What happened to make that happen?
0: Well, Mark Biggs, I was all the way, you know, in school, and I started to get serious about finishing up my degree. And I I, I didn't know what kind of job to get in that town. And my uh-huh. and, and, and my professor, you know, Mark Biggs, he was re- really well-respected, and I had, was taking all these really high-level advanced classes that were really serious and uh-huh. really um, where we were making shorts and short films. Those are, like, only, like, a short-form film for, like, 15 minutes. And sure. he sat down, and he said, well, you've got to go to L.A., and you've got to go to this place called AFI. Uh-huh. And so I'm going. I went over – to um craig hall where my dad worked after Uh that lunch and i told him i said well mark biggs said i gotta go to afi this place called american (laughs) the american film institute Uh and and then my dad it was funny because my dad was not sure about that at all he um looked up you know since he worked for sms sure he looked up the american film institute and there was no and california didn't have its, its state accreditation to uh-huh. AFI and it was um, kind of like a more of a private school institution. Sure. And I, um, I didn't even know how much an editor could make and I didn't know what anybody made, but boy, AFI was really expensive. And then I was still like, yeah, I'm going. And my dad was like, but they don't, but it's, it's, is is it a real school? And I actually, yeah, I ended up coming. And I was actually, I landed a job at KY3. Uh-huh. For, I was there. And boy, I got some great experiences that I'm still fond of from KY3. And then I moved for a little bit of time over to Color 10. And it was like uh-huh. a, it was a big scandal when I did that because Joe <laughs> Joe Dawes took me out for Chinese food that night because then I left 10 10 again and and, and Joe Dawes <laughs> put, you know, pulled me aside. We went to we went and got Chinese food at a dinner and he's like, You know what? You're 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 on the ice here, sir. You know, I mean and no, he wasn't really serious. He wasn't he wasn't he was actually being really he was we were friends already and uh-huh. we had been shooting stories together and I had shot a story with him on a horse in no light, you know, out by a freeway somewhere in Monette. <laughs> so we, he and I had been in the trenches a few times and he was trying to say, um, what is your path? You know? And then I kind of told yeah. him that I was like imagining leaving town anyway. And he was like, yeah, go for it. And <laughs> um, so I and, and when I went back to KY three for the second time, I moved into a producing position there where I was I was I was getting a lot of hands on experience editing with the computer again. And then um all this had happened kind of quickly after graduating in ninety nine from SMS uh-huh. that you know, then suddenly I was accepted into AFI, and I had never been to L.A. I had never been past <laughs> the Rocky Mountains in Colorado. Okay. I had – I not loaded a culture
1: shock or anything. Up.
0: Oh, because so <laughs> I loaded up my car that my dad had helped me get um, a better car, and I fit as much as I could inside of it. And I went to LA, and when I I, there was a there's there's a ridge where I got your first look at at LA. Uh Oh yeah, what? Yeah, and it was like I was coming from Vegas. It's that drive from Las Vegas, right, in into the LA basin, and it was still two hours in front of me. But I saw, I saw. It looked like an urban sprawl in front of me with a big cloud of smog hanging over (laughs) it. Yes. And really, I had a visceral reaction and that my heart sank at that moment that was like, whoa, this is is scary because I had never been there and now I was um, heading straight for it. And then the traffic on the freeway was much more intense than I had ever had. Oh yeah, and around in 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 a blink. And there was even a moment where a semi hit a water barrel. I huh? mean, and 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 then a big huge piece of this water barrel, plastic water barrel came and landed on my hood. And then <laughs> and then it smashed against the windshield. And and I was like, "Oh, it's over. I'm going to die." And then at the same moment, I thought, oh, well, this is just how they drive here. This is how this happens <laughs> all the time. Right. So much. Uh-huh. Yeah. So LA was a huge culture shock, and I had no idea where I was going to live.
2: <laughs> I had
0: never been there. And I got into town and I realized, you know, there was nothing for rent. And oh, yeah. Um, my, I was fully planning on my first night in Los Angeles to sleep in my car um, on the street. That That was totally, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I was completely, and I had seen a couple of landlords and this gentleman, you know, and I told him, he said, where where are you going to stay tonight? Where where, where are you staying? I said, oh, I don't have money for a hotel. I don't have money for a motel. Are you crazy? And... (laughs) I said, I'm going to sleep in my car. And he said, no, no, you're not. (laughs) And this was in Hollywood. And this was Hollywood, you know, now around 2000. And he said, why don't you, and and he said, why don't you stay here? But he didn't let me sleep in the room. He said, you can sleep by the pool. So (laughs) that's so good. Sure enough, that is how I spent my first night in Los Angeles, (laughs) sleeping on a Shea Lounge by the pool um, (laughs) of his apartment. And I mean, everything was fine, but yeah, it was, and sure it was noisy and sure it was different, but um, it was a quiet night compared to some of them. There weren't (laughs) any helicopters. There weren't any police helicopters flying over with spotlights and you hear Uh, something like that. And um, it was funny too, because pretty soon a couple of days later I was driving down sunset or Hollywood Boulevard uh, in an area close to Los Feliz that is um, and near Hollywood in between right there. And somebody, somebody, shot out of a strip mall, um a dingy strip mall right in front of me and I you know shook my hand at him. I was like, "Oh my gosh, you know, you, I mean, I almost hit you." And then <laughs> I was like, "What an idiot." And then on that guys right behind that guy, there are where there were two cops with with handguns drawn. Chasing that truck, that, that that SUV, and like that truck, and 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 then fired shots in front of me. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. And I thought, look at L.A. I know. I was like, oh well. And 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 again, again, I thought, well, this is what happens every day. It happens every day in L.A. like this, doesn't it? Hmm, this is just how it goes down. And I was like, and then I was like completely, you know, I went from being mad at that guy to completely like, oh, oh, well, hmm, oh, okay, <laughs> right. You know, because I'm, but I've never experienced anything like that since then. You know, 20 years later, <laughs> you would say, yeah. no, it never happened again. That's, no, no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Nothing like that. That never happens. In fact, it's more like that. Never happened, you know. So it's it's <laughs> completely the opposite. Even when there have been tense moments in the city, or for whatever reason, Um or you know, I mean, I think those were the last times I saw a a gun on a street, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's
2: good. That's a good thing to get out of. Mhm. Mhm.
0: Mhm. But yeah, I well, mean, this was before cell phones. When you know, you
2: and
1: started...
0: I. Oh, no yeah. Go ahead. No, no, no. What? Well, I, I, I no, you're... I, I, I'll let you. I can open my beer now, maybe here. Yeah, go ahead. It's... Yeah, I've been sitting <laughs> here.
1: <laughs> well, so See, anyway, cause... I guess what I'm interested in is when did you think? What did you know
2: that you had started
1: to make an imprint there? What was the oh, moment? To let you know that it was like really gonna work out
0: no never I, I I still don't feel that way <laughs> I, I'm waiting for that moment if you feel if you know that moment let me know I don't believe that no so you... I mean like never have I thought that everything is gonna be okay or I've made it or um, you know things are there's there's a illusion of security um, uh-huh. or stability Um, particularly the way that I work as a freelance editor who I'm always, I'm always hustling the next gig. And as hard as the gig is itself, the next close, the next hard thing that you've always got your eye on is, Oh, what am I doing next? Because they, I, these jobs, you know, you, you go into a place and you meet a bunch of people and you pay a bunch of dues and you work really hard. And then you nine months, nine maybe nine maybe five months later you know they kick you out the door they say thank you and um then you're out there again and time time flies and it gets faster and faster i mean like my my buddy told me that he bent down he was walking on sunset boulevard he bent down to tie his shoes the other day and he got up in 15 years had gone by (laughs) yeah and 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 really you know a lot of things stay the same in 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 that way that that um here today and gone tomorrow and it's and it's never um you really feel like everything is you know really is going to be all right I mean so I mean I did manage I got lucky at AFI. I'd only uh-huh. been there a few a few months. And there was there's an honorary society of editors called the American Cinema Editors uh-huh. where it's a way for more experienced editors that have had a, a bit of a career. Uh-huh. They um it's kind of a club. It's uh-huh. that that um it's a group that 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 we're we work together and we try to keep editors in the spotlight and keep editors, um, and, 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 and help like just have, you know, they, we try to try to tell the public what we do. Um, sure. that's a, that's a terrible way to well, it, why don't you but, start by
1: telling, you know, just the people that might not know what do editors do?
0: They shoot. Um, you know, they first they write a script, then they sh- then they shoot the script, and the actors come and the camera rolls, and there's all this preparation and a lot of excitement, and they 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 are in production and they shoot footage, and then I my job as an editor comes along, and I'm supposed to put it together and make it feel like it's a seamless real time experience that uh, combines everything. So it makes it feel like it's, um, you know, a story, a a cohesive Uh story. And um, that's also the worst description of what I do. I, but (laughs) I, uh, you know, I'm really telling the story. I put the story together. A lot of the time, you know, some people say on when they shoot a movie, you know, they're shopping for the groceries and then, What i do i'm kind of the one cooking it i i am the chef in the kitchen Uh and we are getting hot and we are getting messy and we are trying stuff and we put your dinner together for you and Uh so i'm the one that really does the cooking and um so i really editors put the movie together we are the ones that really you know make a movie because if we didn't have editors we would just be watching footage. We would just be well, watching. Well, you know, I
1: remember, you know, thinking about from, you know, my days of at least having interest in this. That, you know, Martin Scorsese has Thelma Shoemaker, you know, and and all mm-hmm. these people, and that's their
0: editor, no matter what mm-hmm. the film is, that that's their editor. They so have. hmm Yeah, they 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 build relationships together, and Thelma and Martin Corsese our, our our long, long time friends going back to school, you know, I mean, they are, and they are so familiar with each other. They are, they are, it's an, it's a really intimate relationship that you have with the director, with the producers. You, um, get in our little room and, uh, we, we really mine and we really, really get into the details together. Um, for a long time, the editors are, you know, doing a lot of the work, a lot of grunt work alone, and and no one knows exactly how they got there or 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 what they are sure. doing because they're you're we're, we're watching we're watching material and we're deciding what's best and we do more than we just cut out the bad bits but then we kind of right. like we we're we're gluing. We're gluing the best bits together we're and we're and we're choosing rhythm, we're choosing timing, we're choosing um the impact, and we're putting the effort in to enhance it as much as we can sometimes I go down to a level when I will take someone's words and their performance the way they say something, and I'll find a word, a better word, sure, or even a better syllable, and I will Put that digitally into their mouth, so it seems like that is how they said it. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I will also um, bring in sound, music. I will choose music from the get go, and then maybe we'll talk about it, and we'll we'll him and haul over music choices. And then there's now. I've even gotten into dealing more and more about visual effects and visual effects where we're enhancing the picture. It wasn't shot that way at all and it's very technical. It's very it's another level of um, bringing more to the picture. There's visual effects everywhere even where you wouldn't expect to to see them. Uh, Visual effects are um, a big part of my what I do for at at the ground level. Again, like right after they shot it, I'm like, oh I'm gonna blow this up. I'm gonna and I really get in there uh-huh. and I step on the cinematographer's toes from <laughs> what they've done and I get and I and I get in there and I try to as I'm as I'm gluing pictures together I'm, uh-huh. I'm trying to make it seamless and i and I track things, I'm thinking, okay, if my audience member is is looking here on a screen, then I want that to match for this cut sure. I will move, I'll move, I reposition, i blow up i um, you know, and then I'll also like um, to make it more continuous to make it more um seamless and cohesive, I will Break up a, a shot. I will. I will. Do, I will do. I will do some split screens. I will paste pieces different of different takes together sure. on the screen. Yeah. So um, it's pretty, you know, intensive. Sorry, uh, there for the well, the long answer.
1: So how did you get the
0: relationship that you
1: got with the producer? How did that happen?
0: Um, it came from. Producer that I had worked with on Big Love.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Uh, it was a Big Love was a show right. on HBO, and I really connected to a producer that worked for Tom Hanks, and his name uh-huh. was Peter Friedlander, and uh-huh. he got Peter. Peter's a really neat guy um, who got a fan a a, a a nice job at the right time at Netflix when Netflix was just beginning to produce uh-huh. its own yeah. original original programming that'd be good that'd be yeah, good yeah he job. was he went <laughs> from being a producer right to um this fascinating idea that Netflix had for they were looking for someone to run things um in their original programming um and so he was a he was a vice president of original programming immediately and there was a show there was a really exciting project that called was called House of Cards and they they needed another editor you know they had a little too much work to do you know they had they already had like three editors Uh but they they just needed an extra they had one um episode that was uh you know missing some crew and um my buddy. And so, and so at Netflix, you know, Peter said to David, Hey, why don't you talk to this guy? You know, I like, I like him, you know, and that was it. And then, and then Fincher's staff called me and I went to his office um, right really close to that first apartment building where I slept by the pool, steps <laughs> away from it, you know, less than a block away from Hollywood uh-huh. Boulevard near Hollywood and Western Wow. in Hollywood. And I, um, I, I met with the staff. I didn't even see David because David was in Baltimore while they were shooting house of Cards. And uh-huh. then it looked pretty good. And, and, and I started, um, I, I, I started to step in and, and, and help fill in for that, that one episode. And uh-huh. I, and they said, what do you want? Um, before you start and, and, uh, I said, well, can I read everything? And they were like, oh, do you want to read everything? And I said, yeah. And I and I said, can I read the whole series before I start so I know where I'm – not only where I'm coming from because I didn't know uh-huh. a lot. You know, it was under right. wraps. All this was secret, highly secretive. Sure. And I, I, I had a really nice day, and there was this – these scripts were really well written, and it was just easy. Yeah. And I I spent the day reading 10 episodes
2: or, or
0: 13, 13 episodes. And in in an afternoon, and then um, I was prepared. I was ready to go. And then David had um, shot and edited the first two episodes, and I was able to watch those. And I watched them four times because I was really trying to get into his subconscious and what he was trying to do because he was feeling pretty good about the way the show looked so I thought, well, I want to be close to that when I do this. Because sure. um, – and and I was – the director I was working with on my episode was Jamie Foley, this director who has um, this great career as a film director. He made these movies like Glen Gary, Glenn Ross, and
2: Oh yeah. I –
0: I was I didn't meet him. I just started getting dailies, just kind of like typical. I didn't get to know him very much. Uh-huh. Um because on a television level, you're kind of man things are rolling, you just hop on the train. So sure. I hopped on the train and I was like, yeah, this is pretty neat stuff, like, you know, and there were lots of rules um the way he was shooting. They were only using three lenses. Um uh-huh. which, so that was like three different you know, attachments to the camera to create, um, the way, the way they shot people and took, you know, cakes of, uh, each thing. And and I, um, everything was going pretty good. And the director came in and, and and he sat right beside me and we, we, and we, and we got really, we got along and then turned out, you know, Jamie Foley is really good friends with David. Uh-huh. And just as David, I I started kind of fielding notes from David, you know, Jamie kind of like said, yeah, attaboy, that guy is is great, you know. And then uh-huh. and then I was kind of like that 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 helped me stick there and stay there in his company. Uh-huh. And then not only did I do House of Cards, but I he was doing some other stuff. He was doing he was trying some other shows at HBO. We were trying to do some other things. They were shooting other things that I. And 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 I was invited to, to a few of those as well. So, and 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 working with Fincher got to be the best film school ever, all over yeah. again. It really was because he um, would just approach. We would talk from a, a, a genuine standpoint with a lot of integrity to make the best movie for the sake of movie, sure. rather than you know making money and. Um, he would sit on the couch, and I was in his gorgeous, glorious feature film room uh, where, you know, a lot of his movies, like Social Network, sure. um, and and a lot of his later movies were, were edited. I was in that room, and he would come in, and he has a way about himself where he would start a conversation as he's before he's in through my door but i can hear him from the hallway and he would pick up the last conversation that he and i had a couple of days before and
2: then
0: he would continue he was just like without without a, a beat you know he was picking up where we left off and he i started to leave a laser pointer um in a little uh piece of pottery that i have you know and he would you know, reach in, grab that, and start pointing the laser pointer to the screen, (laughs) and that's where we started talking about his style, and that's where Uh I really learned his visual style as a cameraman, his, with his um, principles um, of camera, and, because David's always really, really known for being able to do everyone else's job better than they can, and so he's (laughs) kind of, like, supporting you, and it goes all the way to from, from from writer to producer to, uh, you know, he can tear the camera apart and rebuild it.
2: Uh Um,
0: and he would, he, 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 he taught a lot. And I suddenly realized, Oh, he's doing it. We're actually working here five years ahead of the rest of Hollywood.
2: Uh We're
0: the way we approach this, this is how it's going to be. Um, because people are going to, because this is so neat and interesting. And we're actually the ones that are actually – we're developing the technology or the way we want a technology to behave. We're inventing it right here in this room. Right. And we had in-house visual effects artists, and I would be able to hand shots to my friends um, down the hall, like Christopher and Chad, and we would talk about framing, and we would stabilize shots that were perfectly fine but we would actually you know we're like can we make it better so yeah that was he was the real engine um of that but then he was he, you know he was I really really learned had a brand new um foundation of like visual style that uh, you know I I that I carry around town that I when when I when I start to work that way a lot of producers are just like, what? what are you doing? I don't know what you're doing, but it's way better. So
1: sure.
0: <laughs> Well, that's good. Yeah. hmm hmm So... Well, tell me, what was it like to work on a Mindhunter? It was... Um, you know... I It's really, really funny because I always thought um, his movie... Well, you know, his movie, um, Zodiac. Uh Um, I always thought, gosh, you know, that would make a really neat series. And I always thought that to myself. And then suddenly, he came over one day, and he told my friend Tyler, he said, oh, yeah, I just sold this other series to Netflix. And it's about serial killers. And (laughs) then about a year and a half after that, um, they needed, again, you know, they needed some extra help. So, Uh I kind of didn't get from – I was still cutting a later season of House of Cards, Uh Uh, but I jumped on the train, and uh, we had this new series about uh, the FBI investigating serial killers and what that was about. And and, and David has a huge fascination and a huge wealth of knowledge about – you know, that this, this, this world. Um, and so it was really bleak and really tough content. It was this kind of material was really hard to, you know, saddle up and go into work every day and, and, and put your effort into these really, really dark stories and, to, and living in them. And, and um, he had a very historical approach, just like he did with House of Cards
2: uh-huh.
0: that, and, and, and he also had such a film background and also a commercial world background where, uh-huh. so we would get together as a team and we would all be in the same room together, a large, a little bit larger screening room. And we would watch every episode together in a marathon, kind of like, uh-huh the way I had gone and read read all those scripts at once at one sitting. So we were kind of binge watching from the be from, from the beginning of those shows. And we would shrink sure. and we would talk and we would we would be we would talk we would think about it as a ten hour movie rather sure. than one piece at a time. And then David would start to bar, borrow stories from later on and maybe let's move that up and then um we and then something really interesting happened because very, very late um, in the editing that uh, he talked to his buddy, um Andrew Kevin Walker, and who is like his neighbor, and they watch football together, <laughs> uh-huh. and they actually watch football at his office, and so sometimes you know if you're working there, you know these guys uh-huh. will roll in and start watching. Um, um, football and on Sundays, and and andrew Kevin Walker who wrote seven was there, and he right. and he said, hey, what if you what if you introduce a uh, a murderer who's about to do it? And so then this was right. the B take BTK, yeah, the BTK the, guy, yes, yeah. That edition that edition was was much later, and that even after they had done those vignettes of the BTK killer. It 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 that we we started moving those around, and what it did was it really enhanced um, some tension and started act, adding a lot of thrilling beats to it. Um, because I mean, like all these all these prisoners, all these um, incarcerated killers were, you know, kind of becoming the, the stars. Sure. Of the series. They were had, I mean, like, we had all these amazing performances. Um, and oh, all that, yeah. So, <laughs> it, I mean, yeah, I mean, like, and they, and they, I mean, and, and, and the FBI investigated and just, are they're just like dropping their jaw in all these cases, but, sure. um, it, it was always like, it was a, you know, we're you're, we were working at, of oh, a, a huge scale studio level at on on an episodic show. Um, I mean, because it is it, and we were we were ingrained in like the birth of serial killer investigation units, um, and it was kind of similar. You know, the timing because it was always like, 19, okay, this is 1971. You know, we're we're 1971. So let's music. Let's let's find pop music. The billboard um, hits from 1971 only and like what month are we in and what was playing on sure. the radio really down to that level. And what's the color of that car? Because
2: yeah.
0: maybe we don't have the right shade. And then yeah. he would have the art department repaint the car. Um, and then um, we would, um, he would, and it well, I, I say all that because it was kind of cool about House of Cards that maybe does you know not everybody knows, but it's still interesting because oh yeah, it was you know for for him to him, and to everybody, each of the principals like some of the, his producers like Josh Donan, he was just like a neat guy, neat producer with his and that his, his dad you know his dad was Stanley Donan, who directed Singing in the Rain and he grew oh, wow. up he grew up at Stanley Kubrick's house with. Stanley Donen and watching, wow. singing in the rain. And he used to tell you, and so they came from a, a, a golden age. They had a connection, both David and like his, his relationship with Robert Townsend and these, you know, and um his oh, yeah. interest, his interest in Hitchcock, you know, and in his office, you know, he's got books about Hitchcock everywhere, but in the bathroom, you know, they're beside the toilet paper, you know, and uh-huh. so you don't feel like, you're just in an office, you kind of feel like you're in a safe place when you're, uh, when, you yeah. know, when you're at number 13, that's his office called number 13. Cause he's a numerologist. He's, he's into numerology and, and, um, 13 is <laughs> a prime number. And so, um, and it's kind of a little scary, you know, which he's, you know, sure. and so it's sexy. He and then them, sure. Yeah. So then house of cards was about, um, you know, House of cards was, really about JFK's assassination. It was a big examination and every, it was on, it was on everyone's mind every time they shot anything because um, that that House of Cards was about JFK. And, you know, there was a, there was an idea for a long time that maybe this is only gonna be two seasons. House Uh of Cards, it's enough because at the end of House of cards um, uh, at the, at you know at the end of the second season of house of cards he he walks in to the Oval Office and he's become president, and then he was supposed to, sure. he was supposed to look to the camera this whole time he's been looking at into the camera into our eyes at home, and he says something, but then the symbol is that. The president is kind of toothless. The president is kind of speechless. The president is a puppet for the rest wow. of the puppeteers of Washington and he had become and now that he's a puppet, he doesn't and so he can't say anything. So when he walks into the Oval Office and he looks at the camera and he opens his mouth and he can't say anything, then you know, cut the black end of series. No more. We can't do. we can't do anything better than that. Because uh-huh. after when he becomes the president, then I mean, like, where are we doing? What can you add? Because it was so interesting when right. he's the House majority. You know, my, when he when 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 he's in the House, when he's like he says in first the first episode. You know, I'm the one that keeps shoveling the sludge, and, You know, moving yeah. it down the pipe. You know, that's my job. And so, and then you're seeing, you know, the the back, the behind the scenes and not what's in front of you in the Oval office. And so the JFK, and so how that had to do anything with the JFK assassination was because everybody was kind of like, okay, so Frank Underwood is, is really Lyndon Johnson, isn't he?
2: Yeah, sure.
0: They were kind of like, Hey, he's Lyndon Johnson and we're just going to take, we don't know if we're right, but isn't it interesting that Lyndon Johnson killed him, killed JFK? That this was all his plan? Because that's one of those conspiracies that, we, uh-huh. you know, that there have been, you know, and so one a great book that um was written. I was just trying to think of that. That's why I'm kind of like someone, because the book about the JFK assassination was in everyone's hands. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, a book that really adopted that Lyndon Johnson did it, you know. <laughs> So that's who Frank Underwood was. And uh-huh. because JFK didn't like the Kennedy didn't like Lyndon Johnson. They didn't like sure, how great yeah. he was. They they wanted their own and they were like this guy, he's on our same team. But he's gonna Kennedy have him on his... the same team, you know.
1: He was not yeah. neither of them like the other. They were
0: they were like uh, Democrats both, right? Sure, yes is that that's what i that's as far as i meant to say yeah that's basically um yeah. i really i'm getting into places where i shouldn't even be talking but <laughs> exactly and so that's why they were kind of like let's 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 duct tape his mouth and let's you know get him in the vice for presidency you know uh-huh. and then he won't have be yeah. able to do anything and he won't want to get a rip, get get in our way right and so that's right. um I'm sure a lot of people know this better than I do, but uh, (laughs) those were the generalizations that I thought were really special about House of Cards. Because now if you watch that, knowing that if you rewatch the first season of House of Cards, you can be like, oh, that's neat. And, you know, (laughs) so um, Mindhunter had that kind of, those kind of qualities as well. Um, and, you know, so, um, I mean, yeah, it it, it was neat. So
1: I guess what I have to ask, was it David David Fincher or Kevin Spacey who caused you to have the stroke? What's that? Was was it David Fincher or Kevin Spacey who caused you to have the stroke? Oh, ha-ha. That was a joke.
0: <laughs> Sorry.
2: No, I just,
0: you know. I just oh, come on. You. I mean, come on. Both, of course, right? No.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, no, I know. But that's, you know, I mean, talk about something you don't expect, to have two people that grew beside each other, and both of us are average folks before we're fifty.
0: Right. I mean, how about that?
1: Different deal. What? Tell me about that.
0: What was it like? I was just finishing up at Mindhunter, and I, you know, um, suddenly I had been working really hard, but then suddenly there was another job offer that came up, and I was kind of wanting to hang out with my kid. And um, because it was pretty common – And it's a cautionary tale about working in Hollywood. Um, I would drop my son off and I'd give him a kiss in the morning. And I, you know, back in first grade, you'd walk him all the way to your class, his, his, his door. Mm -hmm. And we were actually like, we lived in a place where I could, we could walk to school Uh every morning, his elementary school. I mean, like, how about that? And because we lived there in Laurel Canyon, Uh um, and I would drop Beckett at the door and he'd give me a peck and um, he'd say, see you tomorrow, dad, you know, and that's like for him to say, see you tomorrow was kind of funny. And his teacher caught on to that and said, what do you, what does he mean? See you tomorrow. Are you going somewhere? And I was like, Oh no, I just work late. And uh-huh. when you work in Hollywood, you know, you are kind of like putting in long days. Sure. More often than not. And Um, so when I had some time coming up, I was excited because it was going to be close to his spring break. And then another job offer came out of the blue and I was kind of thinking it was for Apple TV. And I thought, oh gosh, am I going to have to do this because I'd really like to hang out with my kid for a week. And I was negotiating that, 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 um, gig, but um, I, I didn't quite feel ready to go. I didn't feel like I was right back to, you know, my fighting weight, to start a new project again. Um, and I felt something in my stomach where a lot of, of us, you know, that's where you hold things that are uh-huh. yeah. not quite right, like anxieties. And then the next morning I, um, Went for a bike ride, and then I came back from my, and I didn't feel good on the bike ride from the beginning, and I came back and I had a huge headache, and then my eyesight went squirrely. Oh. I could think really well, and my wife asked me who the president was, and I was like, "Were you asking about this right now?" Um, <laughs> but I tried to say his name, and then it, 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 I. I you know, I couldn't quite speak and then um, I thought, Oh yeah, I'm having a stroke. This is nuts. And then well really? and yeah, my eyesight was was everything in front of me was in focus rather than and I and because and, normally when we look we focus on one point. But for some sure. reason I had this weird experience where everything seemed in focus and then I could couldn't speak. I, um, but then I got a drink of water from my wife and like my, and then I felt like something was moving in my head. And yep, sure enough, I, something popped in a breath, everything started to even back out completely back to normal, but I had a migraine for the, for the rest of the day. And I was watching the Perry Roubaix. Of cycling race on TV on a Sunday there in April and I was having a hard time focusing on the race um, because I had this headache but I thought I just had a bad headache and quite frankly I had kind of experienced some similar things when I really had to focus at work before Um, and those turned out to be obstacle migraines where they weren't didn't feel like a migraine but where my eyes would go kind of cloudy a a completely different way a doctor my cardiologist one of them told me you're um that's an obstacle migraine and um I woke up the next morning after that big headache and I still had my headache and I tried to look at the internet and I could read words but I I couldn't make sense of anything I couldn't comprehend the words and so we went to the hospital, and they um, we went to u c l a Reagan Hospital, and uh-huh. they took it very i thought they were going to be like, "Oh boy, okay, here comes the you know this guy <laughs> he's kind of young, and he's gonna say he had a stroke, really you know, and I was kind of like, <laughs> not sure what is my insurance gonna do what has my insurance yeah. gonna hit me with a big bill here exactly. are they gonna and, and and i and I wish that i had just gone the day before, you know, in return because they were just like, oh, yeah, you had a real stroke. This is real. <laughs> and they took it really seriously. I put me in the MRI and then I stayed there for four days. And they really didn't do anything else because it was kind of all done. But uh-huh. they put me on some medication. And then um, they, it looked like my heart was the origin. It looked like from my brain, from the pictures of my brain. That it was connect. It's connected directly to your heart, but they've never really found out. That's the thing. They've always, with me, I think that um, they they they've never really had a real solid plan about sure. or an answer what happened. And then I had another one a year and a half later, uh-huh. and I was even though I was on medication that was supposed to insure me. From it ever happening again. Right. um, That it was this new modern blood thinner that was supposed to protect me, that they thought they had it in the bag. And then I was switching jobs again. I literally went from one show on a weekend to the next. And then that night, that next morning, I woke up and my eyes were going different directions. And and my right eye was vibrating. Yeah, my on my right eye was vibrating, and my wife—it looked like I was—I needed to reset my monitor on uh-huh. a TV, <laughs> uh-huh. or I was resetting the computer monitor. And right. um, my wife was leaning over me, and then she saw my eye moving, and she was like, "Okay, we're going to the hospital." And then,
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, it happened again, and so—and they got really serious and about um you know more talk and, and 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 what to do but they didn't have a solution again so but uh, uh, um, they finally you know i finally have done some surgeries but you know and and i'm kind of like still on the same blood center. Right. you know um and i'm just trying to like notice those triggering factors from a distance. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I just really feel like, for me, just it's amazing
1: how you can think you're fertilizing things, but, you know, you know, it's all about the stress, too. I mean, that's a big this mm-hmm. to me, you know, is just like releasing the stress is the best
2: thing you can do,
1: in my opinion. Yep,
0: yep. and, you know, your doctors can't, Really tell you that that's not their that's not their department. Um, oh yeah, exactly. They're their, and how you hold it, yeah. And so because I, I I I I said to them, hey, don't you think this was stress? You know, I would say that to them, and they're like, well, you know. <laughs> and then we you know it was kind of like legally they're not able to lean on that, but then they were like, sure. even though they were kind of like, even though that's maybe the triggering factor, something was put into your system where your system's not up to snuff in a sure. way to handle that stress. Right. And because the things that they've treated me for are completely normal. Right. I have said, I am healthier. And like doctors would walk in and they would take a look at me and they'd be like, Oh, sorry, wrong, wrong room. And then you hear the <laughs> door and then, And then it's kind of like you hear the door shut again Uh and then they're outside and you hear a a muffled voice and what, oh, that's my patient? No, it can't be. It is? And they're like, you've had a stroke. And they come back in like that. (laughs) And then because my, there's a checklist um, that are signs of stroke risk. And I didn't have many of those at all. I had none of them. In fact, like I did not have diabetes. I did not have um high cholesterol i my blood pressure was really good and um everything was was almost tip top right um and then when they got closer and they did start to see, well you know maybe there's a little blemish here and but they would be sure. like hey but and they would start telling me things oh 20% of the population has that so and 40% <laughs> of the population has that yeah. everybody has that yeah. So, what they had me um, do a tap, or I say that every time
1: they had me do a spinal tap because it might be
0: this, you know. Yeah. They come up with a lot of might be's because they they weren't sure either with you. Yeah, they didn't have exactly. A bottom line, and with yours, I mean, tell me about yours again. How that? I mean, well, it was like you know, what,
1: mine was. I was supposed to record on a
2: Tuesday,
1: and yeah. I basically was coming back home for my, for my hair
2: appointment.
1: And, you know, basically I sat down, was supposed to be court in the afternoon, and I just could not focus on anything. And I really felt bad, and I just was silent, had no pain from it. But then, you know, I just immediately knew that something was wrong. And then that's when they took me to the, they took me to a, um, like a, you know, an urgent care place. And my blood pressure was 235 over one something, you know, enormous numbers. And they took me in. And, you know, then, then I had two more. That was on September 10th. And I had two more strokes, at least, on September wow. 12th. And, you know, and then all of that, I was fine, never had any problems, uh, was out of the hospital in a week. And then on October 24th, it was like the whole world changed, and I lost the ability to walk normally and everything wow. else, and I really just had... Uh, You know, an amazing adventure, and my I am so thankful that I had them because it's the best thing that could happen in terms of you know just realizing that
0: life's too short, man. Don't get stressed out. It really, and and I felt like I was in a space aged medical (laughs) place, just like you said. I mean, I I mean compared to where I was, I need to you know I really well i want to send um birthday cards and christmas gifts to oh, yeah. each of my providers for what yeah. they did for me um sure. even all the way down to the clerks the nurses that oh, yeah. um are in yeah. the system and now when i'm when i'm at when i'm at a coffee shop um and i see someone in scrubs and i'm buying a lot of coffee for them now i tell you i and i do And they're like, what? And I'm like, well, you're in the medical industry. And then, (laughs) and then they are just really touched. I, you know, we don't care those, return those favors because not everybody is a high end doctor, um, even in the medical industry, but they are keeping us alive and they're healing us. And I really, really feel like I was taken care of. And, uh, I mean, when you were having those symptoms, when you said you didn't feel right, but then you couldn't focus on anything. That's interesting to me when you say that, because were you unable to focus from a physical symptom or was your mind just, yeah.
1: I don't even know other than at some point I actually threw up on myself. I mean, I was, whatever it was, I just knew that everything was different. And I had never done that before, but whatever it was that day, I threw up on myself and I just, you know, it was just totally different and totally abnormal.
0: Hey, this is crazy. This is blowing my mind. It's really, because even though we're talking about kind of we are on the younger side and we shouldn't right. have, have, but then your experience is way different than mine. Yeah. I mean, like we couldn't be more different from what I'm hearing. And my first one to my second one is completely different, and then there—it's always hard to see those telltale telltale symptoms in the moment where you know they always say like, "Can you smile?" Because if you can't smile, then oh, then yeah. oh my gosh, you know that is yeah. the one thing. If you think it's happening, if you smell burnt toast, because that's another, right. and that's it doesn't always happen. I never smelled burnt never. toast. Never had that. Yeah, but if you can't smile, then you're losing motor control, and that is a something you can know without lifting your arm. Um, or if one side of your face and like one side of my face was starting to dip down, you know, I felt it going. I really never got that. Oh yeah. That's I was headed. Point. I was headed. I was starting to head in a whirlpool <laughs> to, of, 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 no return on that first stroke. <laughs> I felt it. And, wow. and um, I grabbed, my wife grabs a a quick dissolving aspirin that you I don't know if you can find this, but it would be really, really handy to have some it's like alka seltzer, but it's aspirin. So uh-huh. it's effervescent so because it dissolves in water so that it enters your system because my my team is huge. My medical team is huge. I have so I have six cardiologists. I have a hematologist, and I have um one and this one interventionist said to me, "Oh, that's pretty smart, you know she kind of like he kind of like looked at my wife and said, hmm, way to go because when she when 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 we talked about my first episode and the dissolving aspirin, I don't think it's in available in America very easily,
1: uh, wow,
0: and rather than it dissolving and taking some time like baby aspirin to get into your system, it was something like a fizzy it became a fizzy glass of water like Alka Seltzer. And okay. I think, you know, I can't say it didn't, you know, help. Um uh-huh. you know. So Does your yeah.
1: wife have a medical background?
0: No. Okay. No, no. Yeah. She's well you know, her best yeah. You know, her background I is just... strictly interior design. <laughs>
1: Well, she sounds like a wonderful woman.
0: Yeah, you know? yeah. Oh, yeah, she takes care of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> she... yeah. So. But, you
1: know, I just really feel incredibly grateful for being alive, you know, and being able to do this stuff and to kind of introduce this whole thing. Because as I learn about this, more people are having these strokes earlier. Yeah, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I just think that we eventually be nice to know why.
0: And it's not just from head trauma in a car accident. Right. Or on the football field. It's happening yes. um from out of the blue. Right. Yeah. On yeah. Lucas Lane. Something's in the water. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: And some what would you what else? Tell your editors or whatever else that want to come into television or whatever else you want to convey, whether it's about strokes or whatever. What do you want to tell people?
0: Mm. I mean, there's so much to tell. It's that's always hard, and I um, go around a lot. But I mean, just you know, try to. I would tell them to do yoga.
2: <laughs> I would right. tell
0: them. I would yeah, tell them to do things. Whatever you can do to <laughs> keep it light, um, right. you know, I um, do something to keep it, um, to keep it light that there's, um, you know, don't get spilled, over, don't get upset over spilled milk. Don't there's get over Or there's more time than
2: you think there
0: is. You know, in other mean, words. Yeah. Yeah. Breathe. That's what I tell, that's what I tell my son. Actually, I'm like, you know, they say life's short. Actually, no, it's actually really long. It's actually. <laughs> yeah. And um, sometimes your decisions. Same people say that. Mm-hmm, sometimes your decisions are going to follow, be around for a long time. So right. um, take it easy. Be careful and think twice. And um, it's just a TV show. As an editor, yes. there's a lot of TV shows. I don't know if you've looked at your, at your, um, devices lately but there's a lot of tv shows out there <laughs> yeah and that's and what you're working on is just a tv show and you know is this going to matter in five years from now usually it's not you yeah. so know don't sweat it and that's what i try to even tell my assistants in my office all the time Uh-oh. that's what i try to i mean i get them editing now i get everyone i i, I work very differently than most editors in, in this town. I actually have a few different approaches. I um, have a hard time. I take a long time to hire an assistant. I very, I vet them rigorously. I spend a lot of time in between jobs when I'm interviewing. And they get they start to work with me, and they're pretty excited, or they're pretty enthused. Like sure. This, this young woman who is just now, tomorrow, she's going to go to the George Clooney's movie. Um she's moving from me to she got a job with Steve Marioni uh, an editor. And Steve Marioni and I are very similar because both of us were never assistants. Um <laughs> we both kind of like jumped into the editing side of the field immediately. And uh-huh. um I made a lot of mistakes. I about that was that was really good fortune, but it was also kind of like hard for me cuz then I I missed a lot of lessons. And this and 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 carmen who's moving on um to his movie you know when she told me she's like i don't want to take it i don't want to leave you i love working with you i love that you the way you approach it and something that i've been telling her because she came in and she's fast she's jet fuel
2: you know Uh she's
0: one of these and because i spoke to like six people before i hired her Uh and quite frankly i'm running out of assistance because now when I go to the holiday parties, the Hollywood holiday parties, in my line of sight, everyone has been – a lot of a lot of them out there have been sure. assistant editors. People, you know, at one time or another, like Laura Zimple and Yuka and um, Lizzie Calhoun and, you know, a lot of these guys are big editors now at HBO, places like that, but they were my assistant. And when I was working with, when they were working with me, I taught them how to, how I cut. And we, we, I'm a little more vigorous. And then, so I, I've run out of these assistants and now it's harder to find someone who's ready because usually the next job after me, they have a good chance of moving into the editor's chair.
1: Wow.
0: And that's pretty great. And Carmen came from the commercial side of which is a little bit mo- different monster when you're working with clients like Minrose Quinn
2: did and that was her <laughs> yeah. whole
0: industry oh yeah and you know so um, this lady Carmen just ca- came from that and then she's so fast on the computer she's faster than I am and um, I And she's so excited. And she's like, let's knock this out. And she's like, we got to hit a home run. I'm like, no, because here's something that goes back to the Ozarks. I said to her what Jerry Jacobs said to me one day. Okay. And he said, he said, you got to know when to hit a single and when to hit a home run. Okay. Because not every moment is huge. And that's what, and so just keep yourself in check and in balance and pick your battles and know Use your bullets and know when to use your matches in your matchbook because you've only got so many and they should count. And so I'm like, when I say, when I turn to some of these assistants that are, you know, get them up ready to go, I'm like, hang on there, tiger. Wait a minute. (laughs) We're going to be good. So, yeah. 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 Well, that's some great advice, man. And it goes along with health. Good. You know, good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. Have you enjoyed it? I
1: have.
0: I've barely touched oh. my beer. I must have been talking too much. <laughs> well, I think that you have definitely
1: learned that beer, so let's, let's cook it, and you know, thank you, and I've, this has just been a, an amazing fun time.
2: Yeah.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Counselor. Yeah, I, uh, definitely. I, I appreciate being on Radio Wiley, so thank you <laughs> Well, very anytime.
1: Much. Okay, man. Talk
0: to you later. Okay.
1: We'll see you. Okay. Bye. Cheers.